0: I'm I'm Sarah Griffin, and this Juvenilia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person and then a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. Our guest today is the host of Disturbing the Peace, Rachel O'Neill. Hello. Welcome to the show. <laughs>
1: Hello. Thank you for having me. I love you describing me as an interesting person. That's really funny. Yes, yeah,
0: sure.
2: It's- <laughs> that's the, that's our, um, our, our bar. It's just like, are we interested? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's it.
2: <laughs> So, what are you going to talk to us
0: about? Yeah, you got a big one for Series of Unfortunate
1: Events. One of my favourite books growing up, book series growing up as a kid, apart from Harry Potter. And uh, it's just something I adore. And I keep, I was rereading the Wikipedia of it just to catch myself up with it. And I had just forgotten how much was in them and how clever they were. It was like, Mm. I love them. I love them so much.
2: I think they're a good progression for certain kinds of Harry Potter kids. Mm. Not all Harry Potter kids are going to lean into that end of it. But I feel like the, the, Prisoner of Azkaban
1: breed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyone you know? who like adored the third movie yeah. with Alfonso Cuarón as director, like this is the kind this is the exact kind of book She's series. It's kind of more goth than your <laughs> garden variety. Uh, so what age would you have been like how did they come into your life? Uh so my cousin Murren is three years older than me and she comes over every Christmas. And I remember she came over and she had the books. And she was like, these are amazing. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I didn't think any more about it. And my mom, we were going to Spain. So my mom took me into Hodges and Vegas to go um, buy books because, you know, we were going to read when we were over there. And I think I had a Harry Potter book with me. I think it was the fifth one. And then I, my mom picked up two of the, the A Series of Unfortunate Events books and I just read them from there but it was really funny because Mum didn't realize that they they were in order so she bought me books eight and nine so i started with eight and nine and had to work my way back hopped in right in the tangled web just as it was getting like really complicated i was like oh these are class but i don't understand what is what 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 happened here i don't understand (laughs) (laughs) But they were, I love them. And I I think I read them twice when I was over in Spain. And I just became obsessed with them and was like, I need all of these. I need all of them now. There's nothing better
2: than realizing the thing that you like so much has more.
1: Yeah, I know. It was just like
2: 13 (laughs) books. Like,
1: oh, God. And I came into them as well just as he was writing. I think he, the. The eleventh one hadn't been released, so I think right. it had stopped at the tenth one at the moment. And then I didn't realize I was going back on a computer. He actually wrote them in a very quick amount of time. Like he wrote 13 books uh, between 1999 and 2005. I think was the last they're one. Short. Mm. They are short. Yeah, they are short. Yeah, they're
2: middle grade, so they they're not.
1: <laughs> like doing doing
2: bookland maths they're not eighty thousand. no they're you'd read them in no. a.
0: you'd read they're, them well the ones i read i read them in about just over an hour yeah, yeah. they're kind of so, functionally
2: middle grade so they're probably yeah. about forty thousand words at a push I that even feels like too much yeah so even though they're beautifully written and they're very poetic and very complicated they're also children's books
1: yeah So oh, we should
0: uh, describe what actually about the yeah, the, the what the I yeah. So basically the yeah. series
1: of portion yeah. events was basically violet mm-hmm. Lessons on the other are both layered children and in the first book they're orphaned by a fire um, a suspicious fire in which their parents die. And then they move to a distant relative, which is my favourite, um, called Count Olaf. But the big thing is that they've been left a giant fortune that they won't get until Violet turns 18. So Violet is 14 when the parents die. And the whole thing is then 13 books about Count Olaf basically trying to steal their fortune in various nefarious ways. Like, And it's just incredible. And you watch the progression, but it doesn't stay like that. So every book basically... From one to seven, they move to a new garden that is somehow distantly related to them in some way. And then it gets to book eight. Book seven, they actually decide, no, they walk across the desert and decide that we can't be trusted. No, we can't trust all the gardens that we're placed with. We're going to go look after ourselves and try and run away from Kaldolov. And it gets more and more dark because then you learn about a secret organisation that maybe the parents w- didn't die in an accident. And it's just, it's wild. Like it's told. I think I've explained that poorly, but you kind of get the gist no, of it. No, that's mm. exactly what happens. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but
2: it, it is so, it, it's not convoluted in a way that feels off-putting. No. It's very engrossing. Mm. Like it's full of secrets. Yeah. yeah. The and whole thing is full of secrets from minute one.
1: And, like, and I love it because the way it's written is incredible because I was reading back on Wikipedia about the way he named the characters. Like, for mm. example, um, Mr. Poe's kids are Edgar and Alan, which is Edgar, Allan Poe, obviously. Mm. And there's, like, loads of, like, those little things in it. But, like, when you're a kid, you start... It was the first... I remember reading the sixth book, and I remember it, um, Snicket explaining the difference between anxious and nervous. It was the first time I got it. I was like, oh, my God, this is class. Like, he did all those kind of while you're reading the story like it's incredibly like descriptive but you're also learning <laughs> lots of words he uses he,
2: he will he will occasionally throw in and i i feel like i've had i've seen a lot of adult readers criticize this approach um as condescending forgetting the books are for fucking 10 year olds yeah mm-hmm. right they are for 10 year olds and not for grown-ups no not at so all. when he says a big word and then goes that goes to say you know and explains it yeah and he always does it very beautifully and And sometimes it's a
0: joke as well yeah it's often a joke (laughs) and if the narrator is a character it's
1: that's the thing. It's and a really to... present character yeah. who is lying to you a lot mm. or like being very, he's obfuscating the truth a lot, but he's not overbearing, which is the great thing. Mm-hmm. He's there in the background and he's kind of, it, it kind of feels like he's guiding you through the story. And yet, like you said, he is lying to you like a lot. Like, <gasps>
2: like he knows exactly he knows what's what happening. happened. <laughs> and he's just bullshitting <laughs> you from minute one, which is a remarkable. Talent. Narrative <laughs> feat. Yeah. yeah, it's an incredible narrative feat, but uh you do learn a lot about language and about it's very playful as well as being very dark and i think that's how he gets away with the fact that it's functionally a series of novels about three orphans whose parents die in an act of arson um and nobody will protect them yeah everyone wants to exploit them like it is fucking bleak but it's deeply playful
1: it's i just there's something about it i just remember picking it up and being like this is incredible. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because all the kids have a particular talent. Like Violet's an inventor and Klaus is a bookworm. And then Sunny the baby has great teeth, but mm-hmm. is very
2: useful. Um, just
1: bites things. Bites yeah. things. Like, she, But they all have an individual kind of talent. And then it's the different ways they all kind of marry them together. Like between the first book when Violet is, um, she makes, they, Count Olaf puts Sonny in a cage in a tower. And Violet decides that she invents this kind of um claw and she throws it up the tower and like hoists herself to try and get it to get Sunny and then she gets captured by not by Count Oliver but by one of his assistants I think and then the whole plot of the first book is that Count Oliver is going to marry Violet even though she's 14 and to, to get her fortune, and then Klaus basically finds this really weird kind of law because obviously their neighbour is a judge who has a massive law library, and he finds out that if he if she signs the marriage certificate with her left hand, it doesn't count. It yeah. doesn't count for some reason, and I love that kind of intricacy between the three. That there's always a way when one faults, the other finds a way around it.
2: It's the it's a it's a weirdly enough it's um, spellcaster muscle and uh healer kind of triad yeah right? yeah, yeah, yeah. That one of them has loads of technical knowledge one of them has loads of education and one of them is the muscle yeah. and of course the baby is the muscle yes mm. which is you know, my favorite thing which is fantastic sunny remains i think my favorite name ever it's it's just... like sunny like the sunshine like it's it's fucking the be- it's... best name um so much of the language that he uses in it the, like from the fact that the kids all have these mental kind of gothic names like violet and klaus and like olaf <laughs> which it which shouldn't be a it shouldn't be a men- he shouldn't be a menacing character, but he's a deeply menacing character.
1: Deep, and he's one of the best villains I've mm. ever come across. He re every time. Yeah, and it's just like... Yeah, he's kind of made to be a bit buffoonish, but in the sense that if you saw the movie where Jim Carrey played him excellently, by the way, he's he kind of comes guy. across as a bit buffoonish, but it turns immediately. Like, he's charming, but he's also incredibly evil. And yep. it's just... He's the perfect villain in, for the yes. oh, and He's a shapeshifter. Yes.
0: And he's scary to adults as well. Yeah. He's, if you... If he was after he was an adult, you would also be intimidated. Yeah, like because
2: that. everyone around him believes yeah. the lies that he tells. And yeah.
0: he's just this wiry, unpredictable drunk with an essentially. eye tattoo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and a leg tattoo. Yeah, yeah. 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 His
2: ankle, and he never wears any socks. I'll yeah. never forget that. Why does
1: he never have any socks? It's, I think it's, 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 <laughs> it's. I'm kind of okay. I'm anti-sock, right? Yes. I'll fucking
2: mm-hmm. wear socks, but I hate them. But I think it's definitely like a comment on his composition that he's like, no, no, only really sucks, man. Right. Do you know what I mean? I have two pals who have the eye tattoo.
1: Really? Yeah, a brother and sister. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's just like the impact of it and what I like, this might be jumping ahead a little bit, but when they decided they were going to remake it for Netflix, because people differentiate on the movie because I know that Lemony Snicker or Daniel Handler is the author. He didn't really enjoy what that movie turned into, mm. and I think it was an odd way to go about it because it, the books are perfect for a TV series, but putting the three first books into one movie was a weird thing to do. I think. Now that being said, I love the movie. I, Jim Carrey's my of, favorite thing in that.
2: I have watched that film a lot. It's so I good. go back to that film, like, and I don't know why I go back to that film. Yeah, but I find it really comforting, and I it's got it's got a kind of a I think I've watched it so many times, and Daniel Handler's. Um, Commentary is brilliant. I've never he does it in character. It. Yeah. He does it in character as Emily Snicket. And it's very, very good. Oh it's very, God. very good. I was saying to Alan before we came in, the bookshop I used to work in was Daniel Handler's local. And, <laughs> That's so uh, class. Yeah, and we did a night, so I used to work at this. Um, uh, the, the bookstore had. We did this regular um, erotic fan fiction show um, called Shipwreck, um, where we would take a literary. Uh, shout out Amy Stevenson um, who, and Casey Childers, who ran the show, where we would take a or they would take a literary classic and assign six primary characters to six writers who would produce a piece of pornography about those characters and then it would be read aloud by a Shakespearean actor and the audience would vote on their favorite. That was for four favorite years. thing. The first one was with The Great Gatsby and the characters that they gave were like Daisy, Jay, uh, the car, the billboard <laughs> right so it was totally off the walls and when, when it came to the children's literature classics of course the two rules in shipwreck is enthusiastic consent and no kids. Mm-hmm. Very fair. We can still do the kids' books, but it just means you do them differently. Yes. So uh, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe. <laughs> um, you know, it's mm. it's all <laughs> ancillary. You know yeah, what I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mr. Tumnus. Um, but when it came to the, of course, doing the series unfortunate events because Daniel Handler was in the neighbourhood. They invited Daniel Handler to read the pornography about his own books, which he did wearing a cap, a black on a throne, wearing a cap that said nasty bitch, (laughs) uh, read them all and all of the, obviously no kids. So what each of the writers was handed was a different Count Olaf. That's amazing. So the different costumes and the different kinds of Count Olafs there are. And the person who won is a a children's author called Maggie Takuda Hall. Um. Shout out Maggie, who uh, runs a great podcast called Drunk Safari, which is really, really good. And um, she wrote one about Sea Captain Count Olaf (gasps) and Octopus. And Lemony Snicket. No. Uh, <laughs> no, no. And Daniel Handler read it with great aplomb. Like he was <laughs> such a good sport. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He was. It was like the most complicated roast that you will ever see in your life. Mm-hmm. And he was signed the fuck up. And I know he's made some incredibly stupid, devastating white dude mistakes in public before, like the Jacqueline Woodson thing that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did think that getting up on stage in front of a room of 300 people and reading porn of your own novels about yourself, that's amazing. Without flinching, <laughs> was a very class act. I thought that was a really, uh, a really uh, that sound is thing to do. so
1: beautiful. It was oh great. my god!
2: Yeah, yeah. But poor that's...
1: Count Olaf man, <laughs> <laughs> he saw some shit. Ooh, he saw some shit. <laughs> pretty gross. <laughs> Got pretty gross. I don't like. I just, I love uh, everything about it. I just love because he crafted. Uh, you know, books when you can just see the universe that they're creating mm. in your head. Mm. It's only ever been done for me twice, and that was Harry Potter and Lemony Snicket and yeah. I could just envision everything even though even before I'd watched the movie or even looked at any of the illustrations that you get the one or two illustrations I could see the city I had a really really good image of what Ken Olof looked like I could mm. see the kids in my mind it was just incredible the way he wrote them and, and very poetic yeah. They are, yeah and like when you're like 10 you're kind of interested in like I don't even know what I was interested in, in 10 at when I was 10 but I remember just reading these over and over and over again being like I love this. I think it was my first in- in, um, introduction to really truly descriptive writing, which is yeah. one of my favorite mm. bits yeah. of writing to do. And I remember when I was in secondary school, then I entered an essay competition and I won it because it was a mm-hmm. descript- it was descriptive writing about a city at night. And I kind of got the inspiration. I got that whole kind of descriptive writing thing from reading those books. Like they were just so incredibly descriptive and so beautifully written that you could just see the whole thing and you could feel everything as well in them. Yeah, I feel
2: like his world is a very uh, smoky kind of yeah, world. Yeah, you know
1: what I mean. Absolutely. Like I
2: mean, it could be also. I'm talking. I'm sorry. I'm talking the wrong side. I'm talking into your left
1: ear potentially.
2: Um, <laughs> I think that kind of tactile work is really rare yes and it's invisible world building as well mm-hmm. you know it's a very slow unfolding of yeah. a narrative again because you're you're untrustworthy narrator you're wise but not all-knowing kids yeah um it's funny without being smug yeah it's a little bit smug yeah. but it's not that smug
0: so i read them for the first time like this week and last week yes, yes. And obviously that's why i'm staying quiet here because you have a much bigger history with them than i do <laughs> mm. um, but you're but fresh like, to them so yeah, like, so yeah. The, from the first page it's like this is this style is totally locked in. Mm. Yeah. It feels completely thought out and it's really funny from the start. Like, I think one of my favourite lines I've ever read is now from that book. I, like I read it in work and I was laughing at work at, at lunch in the canteen on my own. It was He was describing Violet at the very start and he says, like most 14-year-old girls, Violet was right-handed, which is amazing. <laughs> I was like, I'm locked into this now. It's so good. It's so good. It's so funny. And...
2: And again, ties love, into the bigger plot. Yeah. yeah.
0: I love it in a narrator who insert stuff a bit same Terry Pratchett in Discworld he does it in footnotes but it's the same thing
2: it's very like Pratchett's voice but There's not a, like Pratchett's voice no it's
0: like a gothic Pratchett almost yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, as as wise and, I, I, and equally I get then why people would find that patronising
1: yeah absolutely mm. right. like I remember I recommended them to somebody else and I, I can't for the life of me remember who it was and they were just like I just never I just never gelled with it and I'm like mm, this is and I was like actually I can see why because I was a kid who loved that kind of dark shit like I love really depressing stuff which says a lot about my personality probably because anyone who knows me knows that I'm incredibly depressed like all the time anyway but so maybe reading these wasn't the best idea but I just loved it because I felt like you could get there were uh, were a book series that you could absolutely get lost in Mm. which is so rare I think
0: they feel like you're being told a secret yes I think and
1: this is the most beautiful thing because like with, with the with the four kids as they go as they kind of progress through the series, there becomes this shadowy organization known as VFD. But my fa- and you know they're trying to work out what what the hell happened with them and was it involved with their parents and why was all that even stand for? What does it even stand for? And what I just I love about it it was just you're rooting for the kids, but you're also getting really frustrated that they don't know what it is because if they don't know, then you don't know. And it's like and it's also so mundane. It's so The annoying.
2: answer is agonized and I actually don't even think we should say it. No,
1: we shouldn't. But what?
2: because the answer is agonizingly boring.
1: But my favourite thing about it is just the way they use the acronym for everything. So like very fresh dill. Mm. It's something that just reminds like I just it's just it's so class that it's just inserted. And it's not it's not like it comes up like randomly. It's kind of threaded through the entire series and you kind of learn more and learn more and learn more. And also this is totally unrelated, but Esme is one of the best characters I've ever come across. She's such a wagon, and I yeah. love her for it. She's really,
2: uh, Handler's really good at like heels and yes, and like shitty adults. Such
1: like, and for, Esme comes in the sixth book, and she's married to this guy called Jerome, and they're somehow distantly related to him. Again, I don't know how distant relatives. Distant relatives, and basically they end up living in an apartment and like like a, like a sixty six room apartment or something ridiculous like it. And she turns out in the end this is not a major spoiler but she actually turns out to be evil and runs off with Kendall of his girlfriend and it's one of my favorite things that I never saw coming i was like that's class but also what a bitch yeah, what a monster <laughs> what a monster
2: i think that what it's good at showing the that side of adults mm. especially from the perspective of children who need help and need support yeah. in that
1: nobody can help them and this is the thing, like, you know? when you're, when you're like, eight or ten, which are the, these books are aimed at, you still are in that phase where you think your parents are flawless. And you mm. think all adults around you know all the answers all the time. And what that book show, what the series shows is that adults are also flawed. Yeah. And adults are, they don't always have all the answers. And they're
2: impotent. And they yeah.
1: probably don't. And if you were handed, uh, like...
2: You know, if your parents died in a mysterious fire, yeah. which may or may not have been deliberate, then maybe your aunt probably wasn't going to be able to give you a great life. And there are definitely mm. moments in the first few books where you do think, this is where they
1: belong. Uncle
2: Monty. Yeah, yeah. Uncle, Monty, Uncle Monty. You know, like there Played are. beautifully
1: by Billy Connolly, actually, I have to say as well in the movie.
2: Perfect. Such like, perfect. So like awesome. so perfect. Like if you if, if you were an eight year old whose parents were murdered in it or disappeared or accidentally <laughs> killed in a weird, maybe intentional fire. Yeah. And you ended up living with the very tender Billy Connolly and his giant fucking snake gap. Snape? Yeah. I I'd be down. I'd be like, "This is fine. Mm-hmm. This and is just, my ideal situation." And
1: that's the worst. I think the second book in particular, because they've gone through so much in the first one, and you think, "Okay, well now, Uncle Monty's going to be the one. He's going to be the one to take care of them, and he loves them, mm-hmm. and he calls them bambinos, and mm-hmm. I love them." And then he, of course, has his flaw in the fact that he doesn't recognize Olaf and doesn't believe the kids when they say when they say, and it's like, "No, this <laughs> no. is why
2: this is why Olaf is the best villain because." he is i I, the the most interesting villains and and i think that's why this story could be sustained for 13 books yes is that the shapeshifter is the most terrifying villain like in life also so you know it's it's a it's a wider conversation than just bad man is bad it's Mm. like you really want to be careful about the people who can change themselves very quickly to suit their environments and to get what they want from people yes those in fact are the most dangerous people in the world oh yeah um especially ones who show no remorse and Olaf is that motherfucker. Yes. And uh, the kids, because children are seers of the truth, mm-hmm. they they are, you know, in, yeah. especially in fiction, but they're also children, so adults don't believe them. Yeah. And that is such a frustrating
1: I bind. would have
0: found it so frustrating to read. Because I, well, I used to watch wrestling when I was a kid, and they used, if the, someone happened behind the referee's back and the person won because of that, I would be furious. And I feel that's the same thing with Olaf. Yeah. No it's like, when I was reading it now, I was like, "Okay, this book. I have twenty minutes left, so they're going to get believed within twenty minutes. So I just have to put up this frustration for twenty minutes, and it will be okay." Mm-mm-mm-mm. But if I was a child reading that, I would have, I would be angry. But it speaks it. to you because yeah.
1: oftentimes you, I mean, not that bad things like that have ever happened to me, luckily, but there are times when parents won't believe you or adults mm. won't believe you, and it's a really shared frustration of why aren't you listening to me I'm trying yeah. to tell you something hmm. and they don't listen and that's just sometimes they don't listen for good reasons sometimes they don't listen for bad reasons but I think when you're reading it you're sitting there you're suddenly in all three of their shoes being like this is why why, why wouldn't mum listen to me when I wanted to do something and I was trying to tell her something and then she just told me to wish and, or, Like, it, it's that yeah. kind of so on that side
2: it's absolutely fucking not condescending
1: yeah do you mm. know what I mean no, it's and, the opposite of patronising yeah. it's, it's
2: very much from the perspective of seers of the truth yeah you know and uh you don't like it's that's the opposite of the worst kind of children's fiction yeah treats the children as though they are children yeah instead of as though they are humans
1: and that's what i really what i really love is like there are two women in fiction that i really identify with as a kid one is hermione granger obviously and the other one is violet because Mm. neither of them are girls girls in the sense that they're not, when I was, like, they're not, I don't know how to put this properly. When I grew up, I was a tomboy. So I used to be really into football. I still kind of am. And I didn't really get on with women, which is a really weird thing. It was but, a different time. I'm the same. Yeah. And I was just like, when I look at Hermione Granger and I look at Violet, they are not strictly, like, they're not girly girls. Which is, which is, like, it's fine to be a girly girl, absolutely. But I could see being like there is value to being different. Yeah. There is real value. Like Hermione was a big nerd. I was a big nerd. Couldn't invent anything for, for shit with Violet, but she was also smart and she was really perceptive and she was kind of quiet. And it kind of reassured me that, okay, I didn't enjoy school because I stuck out and I was loud and whatever. And this is not a therapy podcast, but anyway. I'm um, oh, totally. <laughs> but I was an outsider and I didn't really fit in anywhere. and. I think I really identified with but the three of them, but particularly Violet and yeah. particularly Hermione in that same kind of vein. Mm-hmm. I just love it.
2: And because their femininity is a different... It's, it's, it was unexpected femininity. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's better to... I think the nice thing for me about growing up is realizing that, like, there are different... There's no wrong way to do it. No. But back in... I'm seven years older than you. So yeah. back in the heyday uh, of before... Before... I guess um, <laughs> it is important to see characters that make you feel like you might be okay. Yeah. When you're when you're in a particularly traditional back backdrop, like I was yeah. in all girls school and was definitely um, definitely a weirdo. Um, totally fine with that now, uh, writing books about it and shit. But uh, <laughs> at the time, mm, not much fun. Um, and it's funny because every so often, and and like. Panels and shit. Someone will say, "So, what kind of teenager are you?" And I'm like, "Miserable! I hated every minute of it. My 19th birthday was great. Uh, loved it. Loved the minute it was over." So it is important to see those characters, but and, and I, I don't think I definitely was a teenage misogynist as well, which is what yeah. I want to write about. Is that my own my internalized misogyny was really really severe? Yeah. Because I didn't feel welcome among my tribe, and now I think I permit three men in my life. Al McGuire my husband and maybe one other on a rotating cast that's very fair and that's it do that's, you know what I mean that's absolutely reasonable um, I love women now yeah and uh, seeing in fiction bright weird girls yes was enough it, it was, was it was
1: so important as well mm-hmm. because like I remember I for some reason I used to go around the playground reading Harry Potter I have a specific memory of reading the fifth one and walking and doing laps the school and everyone thought I was mental which is probably fair and they were a bit like what the hell but I just I just remember being like no this is this is exactly what I need I like I was academic and I was sporty and that was great but I still didn't feel like I fit in and then when I read Violet. Just even, when Violet has a crush, that's a huge thing. I'm mm. like, oh my God, this is class. Because she's been through so much shit and then she has a crush. She's you're too like... busy to have crushes most of the time. yeah. But yeah. I also, what, what strikes me is how quickly the 13 books, the 13 books are only spread over, I think the time span of about two years. Mm. Like it's really, really condensed amount of time, but it's perfect. That's how like, the momentum keeps up. You can't
2: yeah. you can't write about 13 years there. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like no. I would love to see, I'm sure you can see his notes at this point, um, but how all those stories are mapped. Yeah. Is really compelling to me because of the pace. Yeah. You know, they're so and fast. because each one,
0: at the end of each one, the next one is...
2: Already there. Yeah. Uh, the he end, had yeah. it all. Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: absolutely. He had it all
2: yeah. planned out. Like, you can't operate a scheme of that complexity no. without knowing the end of the beginning. Mm. Um, I'm
1: still confused by the ending, though. I'm still confused. Like, 10 like, years on. I'm still. though. Yeah. I'm still like I had to go back and read I'm like how did this end again and I was like oh no this is still unclear to me but he wrote loads of ancillary work didn't he yes now I've only read the letters to Beatrice and the unauthorized but when I went to Wikipedia I only realized there were another two books that I hadn't read and I was like ooh class but just the just the level of depth he went into to create like it's same as J.K. Rowling like the whole world world the depth he went into, the descriptions, the character arcs, that the the bits that you learn about as they as they go on, and they go on, they go on. The the whole development of Sonny as a whole character oh, no. is so good. Like when she's at the top, in book 10, she says her first full sentence, which is I'm not a baby. And it's like, <laughs> oh my god. What i I've watched this child grow up. I hadn't, it was about eight months, but I was like, <laughs> Fuck, that's incredible. Like, that's you get so attached to the characters and you're rooting for them, but you're still like want to bang their heads together sometimes.
2: Yeah, they're so total. Yeah. You know, I think that's the big difference between a writer producing characters and a writer producing people. Yeah, absolutely. And that choice with Sonny is hugely emotional. Yeah. Like, for a first sentence, like it's that's fucking fun. unreal. Because, like, of course, she's not.
1: No. But also, the way I was again reading this, like, the way her words are written. We're always hark back to other things, like there were metaphors or something else, or there was some Latin phrase for something else. Like that's an incredible amount of research and depth to put into tiny oracle, yeah. Baby. And yeah. also, like whatever about like their kids books, but they're beautifully crafted kids books. Yeah, there are only two sets of kids of books that I read as a child that I want my own kids to read if I ever find someone to do that with is um Harry Potter. And a series of unfortunate yeah. events. Yeah, I, I loved the Narnia books
2: when I was little, but uh, they're full on Christian propaganda, and uh, I internalised way too much no. of that shit as a teenager. <laughs> oh oh no. yeah, yeah. So uh, not that I became Christian again. It was more misogyny. Um, but I do agree with you that the Snicket, that the that
1: that work is really magical for yeah. a kid to be handed. Do you know? It's like the keys to something. And this is the thing. The only problem I have with the with the Netflix redevelopment of it is Klaus is really annoying in the TV series. And Aww, I don't think he's... He didn't he's, scan as annoying. Yeah, and he's not mm. annoying in the books. Yeah. He's clever and he's he's considered and he's quiet. But for some reason, I don't know, and this is no disrespect on the actor who I cannot remember who plays him. Maybe he's been directed as yeah, an
2: annoying little brother. He's
1: just more annoying. And I'm like, that's really disappointing because he's not annoying. Yeah. You read those books, he's not annoying. And yeah. him
2: and Violet have a lovely friendship. They have a camaraderie.
1: Yeah, and like... You can be banded together by... Tra- like, th- this might be a bit deep, but um, my mom is terminally ill. And my brother and I, in the last, I'd say, two, three, four years, have gotten a lot closer. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it's the fir- Like, we used to beat the crap out of each other. Like, every sibling parent does. Mm. But... And I remember reading the books being like, why can't me and Ronan get on like Klaus and Violet? And then I realized that that's not just trauma, but there's, there's different Necessity. levels. There. Necessity. Mm. Yeah. And now when I'm looking at my brother now, like we're mates now. Yeah. We're not just siblings. We're mates, mates because we've been brought together by something. And it's like, that's really cool. Mm. And I really like that. Because I think when you're um, when you're a kid and you're looking at yourself and going, I hate you. I hate you so much. Why? Because why? The, the great joke I always say is that my brother is two days, uh, his birthday is two days before mine. Um, but there's three years between us. And I always say that for my third birthday, I got a brother that I didn't ask for. <laughs> but I love him. Yeah. And I think that showing how important siblings are to kids is really, really important. Yeah. Because when you're like eight, you're like, I don't care for you. Why are you hitting me? Please leave me alone kind of thing. I think yeah. that's really, really beautiful.
2: That it shows this, like, I, I know lots of sibling pairings and the, the, the two siblings who have the uh, Lemony Snicker tattoos. Yeah. I think it's... I think there's that bond. Yeah, don't know what it is. Don't know what the root of it is. Yeah. Um, but they both have the eye. Yeah. And um, I think that's really incredible and really powerful when mm. siblings can be like capital F friends. I Me and my, yeah. my sister and I have a seven-year age gap, and we kind of just didn't observe each other <laughs> until I moved back from the states. Yeah. And like, that's like five years ago. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And now we're like this. Yeah. Now I can't get her out of my text. Do you know what I mean? Sending her horrible memes all day. And uh, she hates them. <laughs> Kate's whole thing is like, I don't like memes. I'm like, no, Kate's like, no, I don't. I don't like. Do you not like memes? Oh no, she doesn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> mm. And I, I'm gonna kill her. Something. She's brilliant. She's she's a ball. Like I love her. She's the smartest person now. Um, but
0: that's the beauty of it. But
2: yeah, and it takes time. And it takes yeah. uh, it takes gr- the the really hard speed bumps of, of adulthood. Yeah, and uh, I think that snake. Could is not building an ideal world for these kids he's, no. he's, he's building a world of no and a world of fear for these kids but their relationship isn't an annoying little brother annoying baby like violet doesn't really complain about having to parent parent something. her yeah um, not at all you know there's a, a solidarity and an understanding of the big picture like yeah. a wisdom mm-hmm. you know yeah which is what makes them compelling rather than uh, they're not wisecracking kids they're Children whose wisdom is hard won by
0: tragedy. Yeah. If there was like interpersonal stuff between them as well as everything else that was going on, it would just be overstuffed as well. Oh, they don't gosh. they have enough going on.
2: Yeah. Like. They're a finely tuned machine mm. of three. Yeah. Which is what they should be because the story is about them as a unit. Yeah. And yeah. not about them as individuals. And none of them The have... boat layers. Yeah. yeah.
1: They're not... None of them have egos either, which is incredible. No, no. Because, like, if you think about how talented the three of them are in their own right, like, mm. like, Violet is this amazing. Inven- what I love about Violet in particular is the term inventor, because that's mm. not a profession. First of all, when you're like, I think when I was in secondary school, uh, there was six girls in total in physics and there was two physics classes. And I think there was about 45 people taking <laughs> physics. So, Violet being an inventor yeah is class because it's not a traditional role and also inventor is not a term that's thrown around anymore no Mm. which i thought is beautiful because you've got her and she's incredibly mechanically minded and she's tying up her hair every time violet is going to invent something she ties up her hair and i was like you go this is so it's so cool to see a girl mechanically minded in that sense and has a whole other host of attributes as well yeah but she's not just a a and it's not a flex no, it's not a flex at all. She never she only does it when she has to, which is a lot in these books for some mm. reason. But Endless crises, lots of death. And en- lots of deaths. You so- know, when I
2: wrote uh Spirit Van Pirates, a very large impetus behind Nell was Violet. Yeah. My main character was Violet. Um and showing Nell building things uh, the whole time. Was a throwback to Violet tying her hair back in the same way she ties her hair back. You yeah, know, it's a tiny nod to the like. I was like, I didn't really realize how much this, how much Snicket was a real inspiration. This is the
1: thing because I was when I when I proposed this topic, I remember I was like, oh, I haven't read those books in ages, and now I'm just know, it's, it's still all, with you. it's all coming back to me, and I'm like, this is incredible. Like I just like my favorite thing that ever happened i think is uh, back when i when santa was a thing for me Um, i remember i asked him because he, i was you know he was capitalism and he could do anything and i was like i want all the audio books for harry potter and a series of fortune events right and i was like not thinking about any kind of cost of what that would be mm. um and my mom my dad was kind of a boogeyman in our house not in a bad way just that she would use him sometimes in this in this way where she was like your father's a bit worried that you're getting a bit too obsessed with these books. So would you <laughs> mind if you just reduce the amount a little bit more like Rachel, this is too expensive, like whatever. But I think what I loved is I used to be a member of Lucan Library, and Lucan Library had the audiobooks, and it was class. Yeah. Because Free books, man! Free books, but also they were read by Tim Curry. Yeah. Which was oh, wow. amazing. Perfect. They're so not the first three, but anything after that is read by Tim Curry I have to go and listen to them over the winter oh I love amazing. Tim Curry amazing and it was because I didn't know who Tim Curry was when I was a kid and I was oh, just like and I used to go back and back and listen to them because I had an iPod so what I would do is I would take the discs put them into my iTunes and then put them on my iPod and we, I'm sorry Luke and Library for stealing your content but um, they were just class because you could listen to them falling asleep being like this is amazing. This is incredibly bleak, but this is also amazing. Read by Tim Curry.
0: Yeah. Oh. Fire
2: Stephen Fry across the board. Replace Stephen Fry with <laughs> Tim Curry as national treasure. Fuck, I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: it's class. It's, He's the perfect person. Exactly. Exactly. It's perfect casting, like, across the board.
2: Michael is a great reader. Like, he is. He yeah. does the, the bit, you yeah. know? But, uh... Oh but what's God, beautiful encourage. about them is,
1: you know, the letter on the back, on the front of the back, yeah. mm. that's read by Handler. Ah, perfect. So it all feeds fits into in the, yeah. it. It yeah. all fits in together. I can't
2: believe Tim Murray does
1: audiobooks. Fuck, my life is ruined. <laughs> my life is over. Shit. <laughs> it's just incredible, and like, it's just really funny because, like, I love, I love those books, and even though. I was still confused by the ending and I didn't find the ending as satisfying as I wanted it to be. It was ah, probably the perfect. Are overrated. It was probably the right way to end it. Mm-hmm. Like, you spend all this time investing, going, What is VFD? What's going to happen to the Baudelaires? Who, did they kill their parents? Is one parent still alive? Is a, is a theme that comes back at one point for some reason and you're like, They don't need any more emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. And yet you're still there let going, Let them go. Let them, like,
2: please just but let them party. So, the satisfactory thing is interesting because paragraph to paragraph, Handler's work is like watching tiny machines ping over, yeah. right? It is, uh, Dave Rudden does this in his work as well, where it's just like, oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a, Neil Gaiman does it as well. It's like a a little uh, language machine, right? Mm. So there is satisfaction on a micro level, mm. right? And like Gaiman and Rudden and all that, they definitely have satisfaction on a macro level in a big way. But Handler doesn't because it's 13 books, yes. right? And you can't really, like there's a lot of big, beautiful machine that mm. gets pulled off, in a stunning way and in a quite adult way I think as well again especially with the revelation of VFD's meaning Mm. I think that's a very adult answer yeah it is because of course that's what it stands for it's very Mm. fucking obvious when minute one, and uh, so obvious that you're like oh which is real life coming back on you again right so I think the micro satisfactions outweigh yeah the macros that it's kind of not how you get to the end it's not the end it's how you get to the end yeah and all of the little fireworks that you experience along the way
0: there's one bit in the second book where he just keeps on using the phrase meanwhile well back on the ranch oh my god it's my and apologizing for it, so for funny. it. it's so, so good funny. and it doesn't even work it doesn't even fit no, I there no
1: no <laughs> and
0: for anybody who wants to get into these books it is totally worth reading they're an hour each I'm going to read the rest of them I've read two of them now his adult
2: work is great as well
0: he he used to have a column in The Believer which I loved where he would read a Nobel Prize winner every every month and Mm. see if they're actually if they're any good or not
2: Did he, what did he think of them in general he, he was
0: wasn't mad about them yeah. Mad about <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah. Believer
2: again it's such a fucking se- it's like peeking under a curtain Believer is produced out of San Francisco it's such a yeah. local establishment yeah. thing you know
1: it's the same town you know yeah it's all yeah, these- yeah. God I damn want it. to ask actually because you, you haven't Alan you haven't been introduced to Quagmires yet no what did you make of the Quagmires uh, I'm trying to pull up like which one that is which book is that uh, the, you're introduced from the fifth one in the Austere Academy where they meet them in school and Olaf is the gym trainer gym trainer <laughs> My details are gone, man. Yeah. Why do you, like, it pull pull us in. Because, like, I, I just find it interesting because the Quagmires are essentially are another set of orphans with another fortune yeah. whose parents die in a fire. Um, but not only that, their brother, they're triplets, and their brother dies in a fire, in the fire oh, as okay. well. I'm back. Yeah. yeah. So there's Isadora and there's Duncan. Isadora and Duncan, yes! Yeah! <laughs>
2: <laughs> Everything is, everyone's name is a joke. Everyone's name but is a joke. Is I remember the, this. This yeah. is the
1: thing, because what happens to the Quagmires is that in the sixth book, no, in the fifth book, when there, when Olaf has been unveiled as being Olaf, he actually manages to kidnap the Quagmires with him. And I just, their story, you kind of... They kinda, stay with him
2: for a while, they don't st-
1: they? They have him. He, I think he's there until, I think he has them until the 10th book or yeah. the 11th book. Yeah. Like he's got them for a while. Yeah, I remember that now. And it's just utterly insane because when you, what happens to the Quagmires is that they get caught. And they get held captive for a really long time. And the bowlers are desperate. Because they are the first kind of people who, who the Bodlers meet who understand what it's like. To have lost. And then they get ripped apart. And it's just like, their story is so much bleaker again. Because you don't really ever figure out what happens to any of them. No. Really. Apart from... Oh no, it's the seventh book, sorry. Because they go away in the balloon with Hal. <laughs> it's really random. But yeah, they're just such a tragic backstory to an already tragic story and it's like but because it's told so lightly yeah like you, you say a cage that at is. one point you're like oh yeah that's kind of fine that's, fine. that's cool it's camp yeah it's extremely
2: camp yeah it's the rocky horror picture show of children's books mm. it's roaring screaming inexplicable unexplained camp yeah and that's how you get away with telling really miserable stories yeah, is that you throw a load of glitter over it yeah, and people will come with you and the, kids will come with you
1: but that's how like like anyone who follows me on twitter knows that i talk very openly about my mental health problems but I, like that you throw a load of glitter on it you kind of make it funny because it's like well what other way is, how, is there what, what other way, way is there but that's what you're taught through those books it's like hmm. shit things are gonna happen but you are going to come out the other side of it in some way, shape, or form. Yes, you will be ultimately changed by it as a person. Maybe, but and not everything gets answered. Not everything gets answered. Yeah. You don't know what motivations p- people have. You don't know why they're going to do such a thing or why why something has happened to you. Sometimes these things just happen and it's mad. I'm trying to remember what
2: happened with the, with those twins. I completely blanked on that because I'm much more much more visceral visible memories of the first
1: kind of five. They turn up in the twelfth book. Yeah, they turn in up in the, the hotel, end again. but. You kind of it, and that they don't really get answered. That question never really gets answered. I'm
2: going to listen to all the Tim Curry movies <laughs> over the Christmas <laughs> and so come back glad. with more answers. Oh, that's so good. I'm so thrilled by that. Like
1: it's fucking so very exciting.
0: So you came to the books like halfway through, but there were still a few left to come out. Was there like a midnight release thing around no, them? Or I was remember. There... So
1: what happened was um, very boomy. I was mm. over in Orlando um, with my parents, and we went to Orlando four times in five years because it was the boom and it was fine, <laughs> but. Why it was so great was a I could get a cheaper iPod that was class. Mm-hmm. But
0: I also did that. Yep.
1: Thirteenth, I so I have the original one two, eleven eleven of the beautiful the hardbacks. Yeah, yeah. And then I have the American version of twelve and thirteen, oh, which yeah. I remember really annoyed me because for some reason those books the pages aren't all the same. If you get me size, so the pages kind of peek out. I don't know what Another that is. Mm. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. There's a there's a really particular effect. It's kind of expensive
1: to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just like why, but. I remember what was really cool is that I got to go buy the 12th and the 13th books in Orlando before they were here. Yeah, mm. publishing cycle. Yeah, and yeah. it was. So I it was, there was no midnight release because what was really funny was that because Harry Potter was the mainstream, like, yeah, midnight release class. Mm. The serious unfortunate events weren't. They weren't as big a deal here. Yeah. Uh, huge in America. Yeah, huge in America. They did well here, but they were not. So like, I can't remember if any of my friends have read them or if it's just me, but... Going over to the States and being like getting my hands on the 12th book, I was like, this is fucking class. Midnight, the, at that time, um, it would have been
2: unprecedented for midnight releases to happen in bookstores.
1: Yeah, because mm. the last one came out in 2005
0: and mm. Harry Potter
1: Mania was just really kicking into gear then. And all of the publishing
2: industry has swayed towards that. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if, if you have a successful series of 13 books in length, especially at the end, your momentum is probably hit, hit yeah. a bit. Yeah. Mm. Um, and there's a reason they all came out so quickly as well, is that you fucking have to keep mm. that going. Yeah. Um, just from a businessy perspective, yeah, it's yeah. like that feat is nuts to me. Like, mm. I don't know who gets a 13 book contract in 2019. Fucking like nobody. Mm. John Scalzi, maybe. But yes. the first one was written in but. 1999,
1: so we're talking about 20 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Fucking hell, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, it's a really, really different time. And this was before. And what was beautiful about them is uh, it missed the social media thing as well. So. Social media wasn't around. Facebook was just kind of kicking into gear. But it, for some reason, I f- really associate Harry Potter with... Um, the, the fandom. The fandom. With well, a series of unfortunate events. Do they have a fandom? They do and they don't. So I was on Tumblr for a long time. And what people really loved is um, the cinematography of that movie. Yeah, it's very particular. People yeah. adore that.
2: Who and, directed
1: it? Uh, Brad Bird. No, Brad Bird directed The Incredibles. No, maybe
2: it was Brad Bird. Because I'm, I'm really interested now. Because it is a very distinctive, burton
1: yeah it's very Tim Burton but it's, it's not it's Yeah, a vibe it's grey it's it's dark it's it's grim it's bleak and then when you get introduced to the really what I love about um, that movie in particular Frader's
2: wife is in it Lilith oh, yeah. Lilith is briefly in it oh. there's my fact it's not a fact but I remember it very like, oh there's Lilith
1: that's Weird. amazing um, she is in it yeah yeah she's one of the actors in his trip yes um, but what was beautiful about that movie um, in particular is because books one and three are Brad grim Brad Sibberling. Sibberling so a Brad yeah yeah but what's that's beautiful different. about books one and three is that they're dark. Mm. So they're red and they're purple. And um, that's just the colour of the hardbacks. But the second one is lime green. And you get the burst of colour when they're with Billy Connolly as Uncle yeah. Monty. Mm. The difference between... Because Meryl Streep is in this movie as yeah, well. like yeah. She's Aunt Josephine, who you'll find out about. Mm. But, Lacrimose Lake.
2: Yeah, yeah like... Yeah. like Uh, He also directed Casper the Friendly Ghost starring Christina Ricci. Oh, wow. That's the other director. That's That's the only thing else I know that he directed. That's um, amazing. Which is a pretty kind of cool combo, I think, in terms of. But I know that him and
1: Handler fell out over the movie. They really didn't. Handler didn't really like what that movie became, which Mm. we've already discussed. But Mm. he's heavily involved in the Netflix one, which is why I think you really get the the level of depth and also I think um, your man who's obviously plays Joe in Family Guy I cannot remember his name but he's playing Snicket in the movie oh Patrick Warburg, Warburg. he's perfect for that mm. the voice is perfect noir-y yeah they are, they are noir I think the whole vibe of the
2: is because yeah. it's a mystery at the core and lots of mystery but even the font he chooses to write in mm. is gothic Like yeah, it's yeah. so cool yeah it's lovely um, the, there's a lot that is considered into it. I have to watch the new series, I'd be very curious.
1: The f- I've only watched the first season and I liked it, but obviously Klaus is really annoying. I haven't gone back for the second or third ones yet. Um but I think in my heart of hearts Jim Carrey is still my Olaf. Kind of Olaf. Yeah, he still He is. has to be. He's brilliant. I do that dinosaur impression he does oh, it. At least to say the dinosaur <laughs> thing. I do it. Yeah, it's like all in the back of my
2: head. And I yeah, I, that's such a weird thing to stick out, isn't yeah, it? It's just he like, like, it? He was very funny. It was a different just, time
1: it was a totally different time what's her name plays uh, oh Bibi Newhart no Violet oh, oh Violet um, sorry
0: Taylor um, Fraser's wife
1: no yeah. I always mix her up with somebody else which is why it's really annoying me um, she's in the this is another very specific thing she's in the God Help the Girl movie um, what's her name
2: she's in, the, she's in the Belle and Sebastian
1: musical there you go that's, <laughs> a, that's how cool I am that is quite um, a throwback um, fact yeah, my god a yeah. throwback. Um, but she she, because I, I remember w- watching the I never saw them in anything else and um, I always mix her up. You, you,
2: she's in a lot of shit
1: now. Yeah. Um,
2: if I could find her name, that would be tremendous. Uh, Emily
1: Browning. Emily Browning. I always mix her up with another Emily that I can never think of. And I am like, oh, that's fine. Viol- that's not Violet Rachel. No, it's definitely, like, it's, <laughs> no, it's just absolutely Catherine not. O'Hara, of course. Like, they're all in it. Yeah. Like, the, and just to go back to the, the, one of the most fundamentally great things about these books, right, is Count Olaf is... Has an acting troupe for some reason. Mm-hmm. And they're to all his. He- to help him compose his costume. But they're all his henchmen. And you have the man with a hook. You never learn their names, but it's yeah. the man with a hook for a hand, the two white faced women because they wear so much powder. And uh, the, oh, there's another one that I can't remember. And then obviously Esme oh, Jones. Oh, there's a guy
0: with a cape or cloak with a long nose. I long think? nose, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. But you, you don't. You never learn their names.
0: Mm.
1: Um, but you see them in your mind like the two powder faced women and the man with the the hook the the long nose and for some reason i always imagine wearing one of those peaky blinders caps even though i don't think that's ever described in the book Mm. but i just love that he has a whole troop of evil people because that's the fundamental thing about when you're a kid you're like there's only ever one evil person no 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 that's not how it works there has to be a group of people supporting him in that kind of way and you kind of come to that going oh it's not just one bad apple the whole batch is bad. Mm.
0: Oh yeah, when they first appear at the dinner party in the first book, you're like, okay, finally, here's someone they can, yeah. will realise. But then they're all horrible to the kids as well. Yeah, you're like, well, okay, that's one avenue shut down, I guess. And also yeah. hopelessness. Yeah. yeah, And Also, the really, they're
1: really I don't. This is so random, but the importance of food is really interesting in it. Yeah. So if you have you have the pasta Putinesque in the first book, you have the the crackers that they have. Food is because we're trying to figure out where Count Olaf is in, in the Ersatz Elevator. They walk down the stairs because I think there's 99 apartments. And they stop for breaks and they have grapes and they have, they have crackers and cheese. But food is so important to them, but not in an overstated way. And then obviously, as Sunny gets older, she starts getting really into food. And she's kind of like a little baby chef with big teeth, which I love. But I think that's a really nice thing that like some of all their best moments happen around food. That's a, a
2: really brilliant, subtle world building technique. Yeah, when you're building a world. The things that like the, the technical things that matter. Like government, like power, Mm -hmm. Um, currency, Mm -hmm. uh, geography, uh, religion and food. Yeah. Food is the... That people forget. Yeah. You don't show people eating, you don't show them in communities, you don't show them when they're vulnerable, you don't show them when they're together. Mm. And
0: both of your novels have lots of kitchen scenes. Loads of food. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: All, always food. Obsessed Mm. with it because it's a really good way of showing people together. And that's what their togetherness is. It also highlights, I think, their, this is like fucking English theory, Mm. highlights their desperation. Yeah. There's no one, no one is going to feed these kids. No. No you... one is going to care about them and therefore no one's going to feed them. Yeah. So
1: the food matters. And also what's really interesting at the second book is, because Monty is probably the best one, the best guardian they had, maybe yeah. apart from Hal. He's the
2: one you want them to end up with, yeah. really, it's Monty.
1: But that coconut cream cake. Yeah. Mm. And he describes it so Aww. deliciously. And you're like, I don't even like coconut. But like, yeah. I was like, and what's really funny is that that kind of continues. So when they like someone, the food is better. So Hal's big thing is enchiladas in the seventh mm. book. Josephine's thing is a cucumber cold soup. And you're like, lacrimose fucking lake with the eels. Like it like, all. But not like the, the eels,
2: the, the leeches. The leeches, <laughs> sorry. It, the, the tech, but it even the feel of, of like cucumber soup yeah. fits into that cold yeah world, right? exactly it's, it's watery slimy like and and it's fucking gross yeah. right so it's all very textural and uh the putnesque is just i think
1: even it, it's just made up of whatever the fuck is there mm. right? no they, they, they go they, specifically they shopping. so yeah, they go yeah. out shopping but oh that's oh, the what it's they whatever want. is in the drawer yes yeah it? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah in the in the in the book they go to the market and they buy the the tomatoes and the pasta and the and everything but then he comes back and he's like where's the roast beef and it's like what? <laughs> what? Did. Yeah, yeah. No. Stop setting these kids up to fail. I'm so protective but also, of them. But also,
2: that's part of his malice. Yeah. Is he's, 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 his, the, again, ways of showing evil isn't just him kind of tiptoeing around like Jim Carrey in the books. You know, he obviously has that kind of presence. But his completely terrifying unpredictability. Yeah. Like, like that's why he's fucking, like, he's, a, he's an unpredictable shapeshifter. He's like, we joke a lot, I think in general, like, culture at the moment about being chaotic, mm. right? he's gay he's
1: fucking gay and my yeah. favourite thing I think in one of the third books one of the, the third book when he's Captain Sham mm, Captain Sham Captain Sham which is he does a great rendition of it <laughs> in the movie Jim Carrey does Captain Sham but he has um, a wooden leg his name they, is Sham and they're like <laughs> "It's fake it's fake yeah, like clearly yeah. fake and it's like and they're like they're like did he cut off his leg what the hell's going on <laughs> like it's so, so unpredictable funny. and my and one he of my favourite like-, like the fourth one is takes place in a uh, the miserable mill it's a lumber mill um and just he dressed he's Dr. Georgina Orwell he's an opt- he's not an opt- no he is an optician and he dressed <laughs> He has these long fingernails and high heels and he's a woman. They're like, well, I clearly can't be Olaf. I've never heard of like, I've never heard of him. It's like yeah. Dr. Georgina Orwell. It's like, oh, the references. I can't cope with the references. Orwell. I'm not, I have, I'm not I have a, Like
2: They come back later to reward you in life when you're a small kid. You don't understand it. And then when you're growing up, you're like, like oh, Georgina Orwell. Yeah. I, see, I see what they, I see, I see what he's doing. Surveillance, eyes, optician. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh, it's like, oh pays off. Not patronizing yes. to children. No, patronising to adults maybe not to children yeah but, but like children. when you're 10 you're not gonna give a shit about George Orwell no but then mm. when you're grown up you go I know that
1: oh fuck yeah. like, the payoff is unbelievable
2: like that's that's also well, environmental storytelling do you know what I mean it's mm. just it's all it's all around you
1: nothing goes to waste
0: what no. I love is that you've come back to it and you've like you're you're not no embarrassment. No, you're still. No. You're, they've actually, you're as in love with them now coming back to them.
1: My favorite, this, yeah. there's a line, um, there's a line that I kind of come back to over and over and over again when I'm like, I have, I have a bad anxiety disorder. So I come back to the line, the world is quiet here all the time yeah. because it's such a calming the only the only other effect that, that that I've ever had there's a song by Overhead the Albatross um called Indie Rose and it's seven minute instrumental and I put it on when I'm really really bad and there's only those two things that elicit a feeling of calm and it's the world is quiet here and, and I don't even remember which book that's in but it's perfect but it's perfect mm. yeah it's
2: utterly utterly perfect because amid the fireworks he pulls out poetry like that my one that I always remember when I feel worried. Is that he, he has a bit in one of the early ones about walking up a staircase, and you feel like you're the dark feeling that's you in get the second one. Oh second my god, one? it's amazing! Yeah, I'm gonna pull it up because it's a brilliant line, and I can't think it's like a little paragraph. Um, and they
1: use that in the movie as well. Yeah. They what what's beautiful about the movie is that they take a lot of the of the text that he's written and they put it into the movie. They didn't just mm. write up a whole new script about it because I, I mean that would have been. Oh there it is. It's in the beginning of the fr-
2: it's in the beginning of the movie. It's a curious thing. The death of a loved one. We all know that our time in this world is limited, and that eventually all of us will end up underneath some sheet never to wake up and yet it is always a surprise when it happens to someone we know it's like walking up the stairs to your bedroom in the dark and thinking there is one more stair than there is your foot falls down through the air and there is a sickly moment of dark surprise as you try and readjust the way you thought of things
1: fuck off like that's incredible fuck off with yourself and when you're 10 okay the beauty of that is the beauty of that now in an adult, is like that's beautiful writing but when you're 10 you're like oh God, yeah, I know that feeling. I hate that feeling. Fuck, that's awful. I've put my foot wrong on a staircase yeah. anymore
2: and that even the phrase, even the words "dark surprise." I feel like I've been pulled up on using that in my novels too many times because that embedded it. it you know, it lodges. Mm. It's lodged, yeah, in my head as just like the color green. It's just like oh, I'll put that in there, and it's like no, that a that's not your line. B, you've used it eighteen times. Stop, you know. And uh, <laughs> that's just really
1: satisfying poetry. That's it's, just really satisfying poetry. It's beautiful, yeah. and like I think like. Is it the 11th one, they're in a submarine. And just, none of it makes any sense anymore. But it all totally makes sense at the same time. Mm. You're like, how do three orphans end up in a submarine? Who the fuck ends up in a submarine anymore? It except- totally
0: feels like when you're on like season five of something. Yeah. You're like, what? Who... Like when you get, like season six of Buffy, and like everybody's different, and the whole thing is changing. How, did we, like, get how did we get here? How do we get here? Yeah,
1: but it. What's beautiful about it is that it still makes sense. Mm. Yeah. It's this. There's a point to them being in this. The room. rules yeah. of the world are waterproof. Like yeah, they're they're tight. You know. Yeah, like there's no, there's no gaps in it. It all makes perfect sense, mm. and that's class. Yeah, and, and what rare. The, like and really rare because like even now I keep going back to Harry Potter, but like like the the random bit like the problematic bits about, you know, the elves being slaves and Anthony Goldstein being like, Oh well there was a Jewish person at Hogwarts like, No, leave the universe the way you wrote it. Yes. Leave it. it. Hey Joe, log off.
0: (laughs) Joe. (laughs) And also Daniel (laughs) Handler. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I actually haven't followed him since so I don't know any of the bad stuff and I think I'm gonna keep it that way Which, he
0: said something insensitive at an awards show I think he
1: felt,
2: yeah, he, yeah. He, he was presenting an award to Jacqueline Woodson and he made a watermelon gag and it's like really fucker really you're gonna say that really dude so I think he's very blinkered by his position yeah and wealth corrupts all but it's blah, perfect blah, blah, blah. because nobody's
1: perfect and, nobody's and, perfect and not, not problematic, not faves, problematic faves. faves we should just
2: be renaming this podcast problematic
1: fave. yeah was it was Christy Bowen who was on talking about Ina Blyton oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah
2: come on <laughs> I was like problematic fave. yeah yeah oh, no, look, all our faves are Hail Mary Fuller Grace all our faves are problematic we know uh, but we know this, yeah but, the, but it, the series Unfortunate Events is a fucking phenomenal piece of work
1: and I've forgotten until I came on to do this the absolute impact like it shaped me as a teenager mm. it really and you're like that's what you want. Like, I don't read as much as I used to. and I, I just don't have the time for it. But I try. But falling in love with a series and falling in love with oh, a set of characters. It's the best feeling in
2: the world. It's man. incredible.
1: And I'm just looking back on it now being like, I really identified with all of these kids. Mm. And I really identified with the story and the frustrations. And But fuck, it had an incredible impact on me as well. Yeah. And you're like, that's class. So uncommon. And it should be uncommon. This is the yeah. thing. Every so
2: often be like, oh, I never feel like that anymore. I'm like, you shouldn't feel like that very often. we're all very different if you felt like that about everything because if
1: everything was amazing then nothing's amazing well it's called play
2: yeah do you know what i mean like it's then it's nothing you know it should only be a sometimes experience
1: and it's it's perfect their kids books it's Mm. perfect that like why like you like you said now in 2019 who gets a 13 book contract now but
2: well but like who counterpoint who would want a 13 book contract exactly like why i mean i would love a mortgage but 13 its books? a lot of work that's to do th- and if that's 13 years who mm. works anywhere for 13 years um, I mean? yeah so it's very unlike it's a it's an it again it should be uncommon very very long series like that exist in genre certainly but it's very rare that a, yeah. a, a a series can sustain itself for that length of time, and it's like one of, a, it's,
1: it's w- rare to get a trilogy deal now. Yeah, do you know? And what? it's also one of the books I, I I reread those books. Um, I reread Harry Potter about fifteen times, I'd say, but I reread A Series of Unfortunate Events. I saw it five or six times, and mm. it's like I remember I read the first book in an hour, like you said, because I was mm. a bit older. But I was like, these are still class, and what I love about them, there's so much subtlety in them because the first book is only about a hundred and. 150 pages, I think, maybe less. But you get to the 13th book, and it's a solid like 300-page book, and you're like, I'm going to find it so much page out. Page <laughs> creep is real. It's they just so say. good, though. But it it's, to rolling it's, as well. it's beautiful. It's not unnecessary. No, just it gets longer. Just need the space. You need the space.
2: There's still a shelf in the room that used to be my sister's, which used to be mine. That is just those books. Yeah, it's just those books. I have them. Shelf.
1: It's Harry Potter, and then it's a series of Unfortunate Events. It's a long line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My great battered one. copy of Harry Potter but still Uh, my
2: Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is the OG uh, um, uh, Dumbledore has a brown beard Uh, it's got the Smarties Award sticker on it oh my god yeah I was Harry's age so it was like the exact like the first round yeah Um, I am sure if it wasn't destroyed it will be a limited edition or whatever but it's uh, very fondly um, it's, yeah, it's I won't read it again as an adult until I have children of
1: my own who Yeah, are of, of age I won't revisit it again but that's the thing my dad it. read me the first book yeah. I was six when I think I was six and it's like fall in love with reading because he tried to read me Treasure Island and I wasn't having it but uh, Harry Potter I was like this is class and it's the same I read obviously it's really funny the, the books that your parents read to you or give to you are always the ones that have the most impact I think mm. like I never I don't know if I ever asked for a series of events but mum produced it now she produced eight and nine and we'll let that go but, <laughs> good try though <laughs> good try though really solid try but it was like fuck mm. this is this, this is, is cool good. this is really cool yeah. like I loved them I still loved them That's deadly.
0: And oh. it's a good place to leave it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank
1: you so much for I'm, so Thank you. I'm Daya, so tell
0: us. about this winter I'm going to spend
2: with Tim
1: Green. Yeah. <laughs> tell us where you can find your stuff. Tell oh, us some... yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Ron Ronzo. I run host um, Disturbing the Peace, which is a podcast focusing on the lesser discussed uh, topics. So you can find that on uh, at DTP Pod. We're also on Patreon and I'm under the thumb of Tony Groves. So I'm part of the <laughs> Tortoise Shack media and you can find me there. But um, this has been genuinely so lovely because I'm really hung over from last night. And I am This is...
2: When someone them. is always in the great metric of juvenilia
1: someone mm-hmm. is always hungover
2: and yeah. it's often me so uh <laughs> never would have known. so never lovely would have known. Thank, thank you, so, you so, so much for coming it. yeah it was deadly <laughs>
0: Sarah where can we find you
2: I'm at uh, Grifsky on Twitter and Sarah Grifsky on Instagram uh, Alan McGuire where can we find you
0: I am Alan underscore McGuire everywhere juvenilia hey. is juvenilia underscore pod on Twitter juvenilia pod on Instagram we have a Patreon there are bonus episodes there are badges uh, thank you Dean McDonald, for artwork hi D. thank you Cassie for producing the episode.
2: Thank you, Tall Tales, for housing us and having us.
0: Yeah, and we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.